Thank you for joining us today with Cindy Sherwood's podcast, Words for the Journey. Brian and I were in western New York for ministry a few years ago, and we decided to go see Niagara Falls just a couple hours away from us. Having lived in either California or Colorado all our lives, we'd heard about it a million times, but had never seen it. We headed toward the falls, GPS in hand, looking for a building where we were going to eat. As we approached the correct address, the GPS kept saying, You have arrived at your destination. However, we couldn't see the restaurant, so we drove past it as the GPS informed us she was rerouting us. Not only was Siri telling Brian what to do, so was I, and we were getting nowhere. After about the fourth or fifth time, Brian began to lose his mind and his patience. Finally, I looked up several stories above us in this hotel we kept driving past was the restaurant. It was right in front of us, but we couldn't see it. God saved us in the nick of time, one or two more passes, and it might have ended in divorce. Missing the obvious. Don't we all do that sometimes? I've worked with hurting people for close to 20 years now. When our pain is bad enough, we'll do anything. We'll try therapy at the tune of many thousands of dollars going week after week, sometimes for years. We'll take expensive drugs. We'll attend seminars and retreats. We'll check ourselves into treatment facilities. You don't even want to know what that costs. And all the while, we often miss the obvious. We skip the basics. We ignore the proven foundation for our life. We'll skip over the free options. If you think I'm going to bash prescription drugs, therapists, and in-treatment programs, I am not. I personally used all those at some point in my own healing journey. They have a place, but should never have the number one place in our life. Why do we choose the hard, expensive roads and not the free and easier ones? So what are these obvious and affordable basics that help us with every problem and need in our life? Seeking God, being plugged into a fellowship of believers, having a solid and regular prayer life, and the study of Scripture. I know some of you are saying to yourselves, yeah, 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 I know all that, but don't check out yet. Now, if all four of those are in a solid and consistent place in your life, then by all means, turn me off. You don't need this. But if not, I hope you'll hang in there and hear what I have to say. Our relationship with Jesus Christ isn't just our ticket to heaven. It's our lifeline here on earth. And no one can better lead you through your pain and suffering. Before we enter therapy with a counselor, let us enter the therapy of the Almighty, the creator of all things. No one knows you better than God. No one knows your problems better than God. And no one can better lead you through your pain and suffering, relationships and decisions better than God. So let us be wise and give him a chance to speak into our life. Our first priority is to seek God. 
In a way, all four priorities are rolled into this one, so we could stop here. Still, I think there's benefit in dividing it out. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. God has to have the top spot in our life, no exceptions. We are not to give it to our spouse or parents or kids or pastor or counselor or friend or any other person. And we are not to stand in that place either. Probably our biggest temptation. We are not in charge. God is. But it isn't just some rule we're supposed to follow, put God first. He's earned that place in our life through his love and sacrifice for us. His power and knowledge and desire to use it in the greatest way possible for our benefit qualifies him for the role in our life. Matthew 7 verses 9 to 11 says, Oh, what man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He will always do the right and best thing for us, but we have to allow him access, and that starts with attaching ourselves to him. John 15 verses 5 to 8 says in the NIV, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Attached to Jesus, great, you will bear much fruit. Your life will be healthy and productive. God will give you the desires of your heart. You will live the life he created you to live. Detached from Jesus, big problem. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Your life will wither away. Destruction is headed your way. Why would you want to do life detached from Jesus? He loves you. If this is an area of your life that needs improvement, check out my Bible study, Resting in Jesus. I wrote it to help you make a greater place in your heart and life for Jesus. So our first priority is to seek God, and this is the big umbrella for the other three priorities, which are simply aids to help us do that. The next priority is to always be plugged into a fellowship of believers. This comes in all shapes and sizes, the most common one being church. While I have no idea what your perspectives and feelings are about church, one thing I'm certain of is that you have plenty. <laughs> For a lot of people, church is a loaded subject. If you have, perhaps, had negative experiences with the church and now shy away from church, I want to tell you, I understand. I've been betrayed by certain church members, elder boards, and even a pastor on more than one occasion. I had a pastor who turned out to be a total fraud, not even a real pastor, 
I've been through church splits. I've had my life turned inside out by church elders. No one knows the messiness of churches better than I do. Where two or three are gathered, someone is doing something they shouldn't be doing and breaking the heart of God. Nevertheless, the church is still God's idea, God's institution, and his plan for his children and those seeking him. The church is good. It's just that there are some people out there who are unhealthy and instead of getting healthy are playing out their woundedness in the church and causing harm. It's no different than in families, schools, workplaces, etc. Unhealthy people are everywhere, including in the church. None of that changes the fact that God tells us to be in a church. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need to be in a church fellowship because we need to do this thing called the Christian life together. We need each other. Not one of us is equipped to go it alone. No one. We all get off track. We all stumble. We all get discouraged. We all experience loss. And when those things happen, we need the body of Christ to help us. And let us not be so self-centered to not consider the other side of the coin. It's not just for us. God has a contribution for us to make. We are to be in a church to give of our gifts, time, money, abilities. God made us to share. No one is excluded from that plan, although many excuse themselves. Let us follow the example of the new disciples in Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. The NIV says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They devoted themselves to each other. They did life together. Do you think as a group they were any less messy than we are? I doubt it. I'm guessing they were just as prideful, judgmental, and self-serving as we are today. Yet God worked through that group because that's God's plan for us. We do not have the authority to change God's plan. And he says, we are to meet together. They were devoted to the word of God and to fellowship with each other. And God blessed them with growth and with many wonders and miraculous signs. We need to be in both a large group and in a small group. We benefit from being part of corporate worship, joining a body, and worshiping God together. 
There's strength and encouragement there. But we also benefit from being in smaller groups. These come in many varieties. Music worship teams, Sunday school Bible studies, small groups for singles or marrieds or seniors, etc. It's hard to be personally known in a large congregation or to receive individual prayer when we need it. Smaller groups help fill those needs we all have in common. Lone rangers are sitting ducks. How's that for mixing metaphors? But you get my point. We need to stay together. One of the things the new disciples devoted themselves to was prayer, and that's our third priority. We need a solid and regular prayer life. It's important our prayer life matures beyond just constantly spewing our laundry list. I need this and I need that. There's a lot more to prayer than just telling God what we want him to do. Quoting my utmost for his highest, Oswald Chambers said, Worship and intercession must go together. The one is impossible without the other. We hurl our petitions at God's throne and dictate to him as to what we wish him to do. We should ask for what we need, as it says in James 4, 2-3, the NIV. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. But let us not limit our prayer life to that. Worshiping and giving thanks to God needs to be part of our prayer too, as Chambers said. And we need to include regular confession. We need to spend time listening and letting God speak to us to show us what we need to see and know. And when we pray, let us always begin with an attitude of humility. He is God, we are not. Let us never forget whose presence we are in. I'm not going to say a lot more here because I've already done an entire podcast on this subject, Praying with Intimacy. You can listen to that one for more on prayer. Let's wrap up with our final priority, infusing scripture into our heart and mind. We need God's word. And I don't mean we need a Bible on our bookshelf or upload it on our phone. It's not enough to own one. It's not enough to hear a weekly sermon or even attend a Bible study. We need to be reading it every day on our own. It's shocking how few people do this. Unfortunately, I'm almost surprised when I find someone who does read their Bible every day. Scripture is our operating manual for life. As Moses says in Deuteronomy 32:47, the NIV, they are not just idle words for you. They are your life. Scripture is God speaking into our needs each day. The reason we need to never stop reading Scripture is because we forget what it says in about five minutes. Even if we had the entire Bible memorized, we would still need to read it every day. The other reason is because it is God's main tool for speaking to us. That's how he reaches into our life most of the time. Yes, he uses other people and songs and books, etc., but his voice mainly speaks through his word. 
Years ago, I developed a tool to help with this. It's called the Bible Reading Box. It revolutionized my relationship with God and brought new life into my Bible reading. It's very simple. I typed out the 66 books of the Bible and cut them into pieces and put them in a box. This is how it works. Each morning when I'm ready for a new book, I pray and ask God to select the book He wants us to read together. Then I choose a slip without peeking. That's the book I then read. The slip goes back in the box because God will take me back there in his due time. If I draw out Obadiah, I'll be ready for another book tomorrow. If I draw out Isaiah, I might be there all month. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that I am reading what God wants me to read. He has used this simple tool to direct me in thousands of ways throughout the years. I highly recommend it. If you want to buy a Bible reading box that's ready to go, visit our website, hishealinglight.org. They're only $4. I want to share one of my favorite verses as I close today. Psalm 36, 8 in the NIV says, They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. God's word is a river of delights. It keeps moving, nourishing, giving us life. Seek God. Always be plugged into a fellowship of believers. Have a solid and regular prayer life. And read the Bible. Keep these four priorities constant in your life. And God will always meet your needs. All scripture is from the New King James Version unless otherwise stated. Thank you for listening to Cindy Sherwood's podcast. Visit us on the web at hishealinglight.org to learn more about our ministry. Please consider rating us on iTunes or your other favorite music app. God's best to you today.